0: morning, noon, or night. Whenever and wherever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKinty. This episode was recorded on August 21st, 2021. My guest on the program today is the accidental psychonaut, Mary Ditton. Mary is a massage therapist and Ayurvedic practitioner who spent five years working at the Awakening in the Dream House Ibogaine Clinic, now located in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. Ibogaine is a powerful African psychedelic associated with opioid addiction cessation and has been used for decades to help many thousands of addicts begin their journey to recovery. Despite its successes, Ibogaine is still classified as a Schedule I drug in the United States and as such, medical research and use of the substance remains illegal. Addicts are forced to travel internationally to make use of this effective treatment and improved protocols are difficult to develop in an atmosphere characterized by government control. While Mary's primary professional experience centered around Ibogaine, her personal life has been profoundly affected by the use of entheogens whose powerful plant medicine altered her path from a young age. This conversation will include discussion about multiple experiences with a variety of medicines, their effect on the human body, and the messages they impart to each individual utilizing these tools for health and education. Stay tuned for a conversation concerning a variety of substances including magic mushrooms, peyote, and ayahuasca, as well as a deep dive into the Ibogaine healing experience. Mary has participated in traditional ceremonial use of many of these change agents, as well as developed a deep understanding of modern scientific applications of these substances as they slowly make their way back into the psyche of civilization. Hear these stories and more as this conversation delves into Mary's decades-long exploration into the world of plant medicine and the powerful lessons these substances impart to those willing to take the journey. Find out more about her work at the Accidental Psychonaut channel on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast on your favorite social media network. We rely on listeners like you to help with distribution of this important information. Go to www.theshiftnow.com for hours of free content, to sign up for the newsletter, or subscribe for feature-length versions of the episodes to help support the show. I want to thank Psychonaut Mary Ditton for agreeing to this interview, and thank you for helping to make the shift. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the 89th episode of The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKenty. I'm happy to be joined today by Mary Ditton. This is a kind of a special episode for me because so often I'm talking to people that are promoting a book or a documentary um, or somebody that I you know, had to look hard, search hard for on the internet to figure out how to have a conversation about a topic, and uh, this one is very serendipitous. I've been wanting to talk about Ibogaine and entheogens for a long time on the show, and uh, Great spirit just happened to drop Mary in my lap. She's a member of my community, and I met her uh, at a a political event uh, last week, and uh, we just hit it off, and she was talking about the topic that I've been wanting to talk about for, as I said, for quite some time. So uh, Mm -hmm. thank you so much, Mary, for coming on this show. And um, just to let my audience know, her YouTube channel is called The Accidental Psychonaut. So do you want to tell people a little bit about your history and and then why you named your YouTube channel The Accidental Psychonaut?
1: Sure, Doug. Sure. Thank you. Well, (laughs) I told you that many people discouraged me from the title The Accidental Psychonaut. Mm -hmm. So accident. Is, you know, it implies something negative, but really in this case, it was referring to me falling into um, the experience I had when I was 23 in 1978. And I do discuss that on my channel. It was with a very large, uh, I didn't know for decades that it was called a master mushroom, but anyway, Ah. it was a large mushroom. I was um, 23 and I was going to throw the mushroom in the trash because I really didn't know what it was supposed to do. I had some vague idea, but I didn't want to hurt the guy's feelings who gave it to me. (laughs) Fred, Fred, and he he said, he he warned me, like, this is for three people. He he said that several, several times. And at the time, I really didn't know... two other people, but I did mention it to a co-worker of mine um, at the the restaurant I was working in at the time, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, 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 I'll do that with you, and I said, yeah, but we need a third person, he said, well, my boyfriend has a great apartment, so we ended up experiencing this in a New York City apartment, of all things, you know, looking back, it's funny to me that that was my... It really mind-blowing experience because um, I left my body through the top of my head and I did not know about chakras or really anything much to do with, right. certainly not to do with Hinduism or any, I did, I, I was very, I think very um, focused on my career, which um, was to be a Broadway, uh, gypsy dancer, actor. I studied theater in college and um, I had, I had this appointment with a, <laughs> a uh, well, my agent gave me a list of things that I needed to fix. You know, keep in mind, you know, it was the time when um, Chorus Line was playing on Broadway. And, you know, there's this famous tune, Tits and Ass. It's an ass won't <laughs> get you jobs unless they're yours. Okay. That's uh, one of the right, lyrics, right? right? Bum, 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 <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, at that age of 23, I was all about like, I am going to like get the right size boobs. And one thing he told me was you need to thin out that peasant nose. Oh. I was I was gonna wow. save that for last. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I so was gonna do all the things he gave me. He gave me a list, you know. But I was starting with the boobs, and I had an appointment uh, in mid-January to do these boobs. I, I, you know, the no last kidding. Thing, oh yes, the <laughs> last thing this agent screamed at me as I left his office was, "Don't go too big." You know, oh man. So this mushroom where I leave my body, and I have, I am, you know, as green as green could be, you know, and I'm with. Don I remember Don very well. He was um my 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 friend at La Groceria restaurant in the West Village of New York 1978. And his boyfriend um had the great apartment. And you know um all I can say, you know, to keep the story short was basically my spirit left through what I later knew was a, a crown chakra, you know. Yeah. But I didn't know about chakras. I just knew I left through the top of my head.
0: Quite quite the introduction to the other side, huh?
1: <laughs> oh yes. Yes, and that's that was such a joy for me because I I wasn't scared. Like not once during the experience was I scared till the very end when I was trying to see if I could like curl myself through the wall because I was bored being in the apartment after a couple Mm. of hours, (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) And I thought, gee, how do I do this? But then I thought about my parents because it was Christmas Eve and it was the first, it was the Christmas Eve, the first one that I didn't go home to Philadelphia. My father told me, don't worry about it. The weather was really bad. He says, "Just come, you know, come when you can." He was really fine about it. I love, you know, I I have a very tight family, so I was thinking, well, if I get out of this apartment and I can't get back in, and I can't get back in my body, I remember thinking that um, my parents, well, my parents would be devastated, and I remember thinking about the person that would have to clean up the body. Like, that was my, you know, I was just thinking, oh, that's sad, you know, to find a dead body, you know. And I just didn't want my parents to go through that. (laughs) But other than that, I seemed perfectly fine. So, you know, there I was at age 23. And then, of course, after the experience was over, I wanted to repeat it, like, right away. Oh, yeah. Like, I was like, holy crap, I'm not my body. Wow. So I sought to repeat it. And you know how it often goes. You you, you get like one green card, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, you have like a bunch of like even bad trips where you're like, wait, this isn't, I want that other one. I want that other trip that I got the first time, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's how it went. And basically, um, so that was monumental. Uh, I did cancel my appointment with for the boob job. Right. <laughs> that, that, that i'm so happy for in, you know in
0: hindsight yeah probably for yeah i did
1: i canceled all that and i changed actually the course of my life um yeah i and yeah yeah i changed my life and i waited literally 30 years to to um where i felt i was in a space in my life where my ch- my son was Going to college, um, I had another boy that was like an adopted son. He was also in the Navy. And I really didn't have anyone depending on me. And I wanted to have another big experience. I was searching for that. And um, so that's why I got involved with the Ibogaine community. mm mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And so, yeah, talk about that. Tell the audience about that, because this is, uh, I think, going to be the focus of the interview, um, Mm -hmm. which is the five years that you spent in Mexico helping people Mm -hmm. uh, with their addiction problems through Ibogaine. So how did you get
1: started? Well, um, you know, the Internet, I was on the Internet, like everybody, you know, uh, at the time researching, like what are the ways to do this you know mm. and i thought about uh peyote cuz i knew you could go somewhere in um i believe it was new mexico and you just had to be a member of a church you know i had some options i thought about ayahuasca but then i saw on the internet that uh this this man howard lotsoff lived in staten island and he was the father of Ibogaine. he's known as the father of game, you know, Mm -hmm. so I called him up, his number was there. And I said, uh, you know, I told him, look, I am looking to find um, perhaps employment, maybe I can be of help. I do body work. I am certified in Ayurveda. I, I like to cook, you know, I I can do anything to help your clinic. Uh, Do you think that I could possibly work in an game? Uh, clinic, and he gave me the number. <laughs> wow. Of um, Richie Ogelnick. At the time, Richie was calling himself Eric Talb. Okay. Mm. And he still has his same website, which is ibeginagain.org. And actually, I wrote down his phone number because it was great. I got a chance to call Richie uh, knowing I was going to do this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, uh, should I say his phone number? Uh, one or do you do-
0: yeah, I don't think so. I could buy it, you know. If Richie, oh, okay. if Richie gives us uh, permission, I can put it in the show notes.
1: Oh, he did. He gave me permission. Okay. But, oh, but anyway, he well, can be you, found. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't need to give his phone number because people can find his website. Which I'll, put, is, I'll
0: put the website on in the show notes. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. I begin again. So Great. yeah, he uh, he was the one that Howard recommended. And okay. so I called him, and he uh, thought I was with the uh, FDA. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he thought. And so he happened to be in New York. When I called him, I thought he was in Florida, hmm. and because that's where the website said he was, where he lived. So he happened to be in New York at the time, and he said he was going to send his cousin, Frankie, over to meet me and interview me but it was him you see so he ah. came yeah he came to where i was working i was taking care of one of my massage clients who was probably in her mid 90s so i i started when she was 90 and i i served her till her death she was 97 when she passed and this plays into my whole relationship with um, not just ibogaine but certainly with ayahuasca so here mm. I was I'm working in a job which was only supposed to last two years you know because she was in such poor health but now she's like 96 and I've been there six years and oh, wow. I'm kind of climbing the walls like I'm feeling like a reluctant sherpa you know I really couldn't leave her she she didn't have anybody but me and her son lived in California. He was very grateful that I was doing this, by the way. Yeah. Anyway, so he came to where I was working and he immediately saw that I was for real, I believe. But he, f- he told me later, he found it fascinating how much I knew just from researching online mm. about not just about Ibogaine, but about him. I was like, oh yeah, Richie used oh, right. to sell jewelry and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so <laughs> and he has a brother-in-law who's a heroin addict, and that's why he got it, you know, because I read everything. Yeah. And so anyway, that was that was how I met Richie Oglenick. And he's he's still um providing treatment. And he was the one in the 90s who went to Cameroon and ended up getting Howard Lotsoff's leftover Ibogaine. Mm. <laughs> I guess Howard had found another source and he brought it back. You know, I'll let him tell that story because it's a it's a great story of his <laughs> trip to Cameroon and coming back and how he brought it in, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Um. Will you just tell people a little bit about the, the history of Ibogaine and then and then what it's yes. used for in terms of addiction and how it's used on, on, uh, uh, on people that have addictive disorders?
1: Yes. So I always recommend people, if they want to know about Ibogaine, to watch a documentary film. It's on YouTube. It's 50 mm-hmm. Minutes, and it's very well made, um, and it's called Ibogaine Rite of Passage. The young man, well, he was young at the time. Now he's, I don't know, he must be in his 40s. <clears throat> ben and he runs an organization called ICERS, I-C-E-E-R-S. And it's, uh, it's an acronym for the International Conference of Ethnobotanical Education Research and Services. But he's really great. He was the one I ended up going to Colombia with, okay. ultimately. So what is ibogaine? Ibogaine is the active alkaloid of the iboga. So the iboga is a shrub. It grows in West Equatorial Africa, in the countries of Gabon, Cameroon, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Now, the Congo is really difficult to deal with, Most people were dealing with either Cameroon or Gabon. During the time that I was in Mexico, Gabon declared uh, the exportation of Iboga to be illegal, but hey, you know, people were still probably getting it from Gabon. Um, I never dealt with that aspect. Uh Uh, I worked at the Awakening in the Dream House at the time, and uh, Rocky Caravelli was the director. At that time I was there. So um and back to Ibogaine.
0: This was in so if, well oh, just, go ahead. just to let people know, uh the years, awakening yeah. in the dream house is uh is in Mexico. Clearly, uh the this yes. Ibogaine treatment is illegal in the United States to this day. Yes. So
1: to this day it's a class one. Mm-hmm. It's a bat it's yeah, it's illegal. So uh, you know, I knew I would go, I decided I would go either to Canada. Or Mexico. But anyway, let me get back to finishing with um, Mm -hmm. what is Ibogaine. So if you think of the sacred plants, or some people call them entheogens, I like that name because it refers to the connection with uh, spirit, creator, the God, whatever you want to call it. So, you know, if you think about uh, mushrooms, for instance, psilocybin. Silicin is the active alkaloid. With peyote, uh, it's mescaline. And with ayahuasca, it's DMT. Mm-hmm. With, with Iboga, it's ibogaine. Now, okay. the reason that there is such a disparity, <laughs> you know, if you're going to drink ayahuasca, you're drinking it just like the, the natives do. Uh, But if you're going to take Iboga the way the natives, the indigenous, um, and the Bwiti pygmy do, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you ain't going to do it. You know, I'll tell you why. (laughs) You're going to have to eat a crapload of, it looks like sawdust, because the active ingredients of the shrub are in the root bark, specifically the second shavings of the root bark. Yeah. And so if you see a plate of it you'll you watch the documentary right? Mhm. Yeah. So you see that it looks like Yeah, there, it looked like a
0: bit of an ordeal the the
1: It's oh the
0: initiate yes. had to eat quite a bit of it.
1: Yes. And there's a lot of vomiting. Of course, people misunderstand um, a lot about Well, I would say there's a lot to explain about all of the <laughs> Processes, mm-hmm. but let's just stick to Ibogaine. Um, and,
0: and you were saying that you have you experienced that that experience with Ibogaine, the traditional experience as well as
1: yes, well, I experience
0: had in the in the in with, the Western experience. I mean, there's a little bit of a comparison and contrast between the traditional use and then the and then the Western use.
1: Yes, I've I I had both. I mean, I was there mm. five years. And, uh, but to finish up with, um, mm-hmm. and you know, what I was making the analogy of, let's say DMT is the ayahuasca as ibogaine. That's the active alkaloid. But uh, during the time I was in Mexico, they started to use other alkaloids and they called it the TA, which is total alkaloid. And so they were trying to make a more, um, uh, let's say, robust uh, treatment that wasn't so pinpointed on the eye again. You know, all of this was experimental. Yeah, this was all, you know, this is pioneering work. Even today, all of the work that's being done with introducing, well, peyote, actually, they were working a lot with peyote for alcoholism for decades, but people don't know about that. Um, ayahuasca, it, you know, it's being used legally here with the Dime to treat. You know, it's not often sort of um, advertised as an addiction thing, but of course it's implied Uh because uh, any kind of, um, let's say, (laughs) lack of health, you know, could involve substance abuse. Maybe not, but, you know, um, so how we did it in the years I was there, and I believe that how they're still doing it is they'd have addiction categories, and then they'd have the psycho-spiritual sessions that they offered for people who weren't necessarily addicted to substances. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the funny, (laughs) I love telling this because it was so true. The funny part about um, our psycho-spiritual sessions is we often said we would put a sign up. No more psycho spiritual sessions. We can't deal with these people. You know they <laughs> and you know we want the addicts. Bring the addicts in. You know, <laughs> please, please. You know, so right. <laughs> we had some tough customers in both in both arenas. You know, but um, we would laugh about it. And anyway, I could tell you a million stories. Right. <laughs> I, I I hope I'm explaining what. Ibogaine is, it's, um, it it was originally um, manufactured by the French as a mountain climbing aid. And I think it was called Lamborghini after a city in Gabon. Um, But, you know, as it is with um, a lot of the sacred plants, they can't patent it. And when they tried to do that with Ibogaine, uh, I won't mention any names, but they're because <laughs> I, you know, it's really, I'd rather not. But there were people, and we used to laugh about, about it as uh, scientists and doctors wanting to get those nasty visions out. You know, <laughs> we can cure you without those inconvenient. Visions. Oh, you
0: know?
1: right. Oh, yes. They were
0: trying to figure out how oh, yeah, to they extract were like, to like, the spiritual that, then, experience from the from the active ingredient or whatever, so that they could. Yeah, that's that's fascinating actually to think about.
1: Isn't know. it though? It's so modern. Yeah, <laughs> so modern. Anyway, so that that was, you know, uh, ibogaine had a reputation of working particularly well with opiates. Mm-hmm. Because you know they, the the scientists who did studies, uh, they would say that the, I, ibogaine fits into the same receptors as the opiates in the brain, and so.
0: And now it actually like if uh, if an opioid if an opiate addict is. Uh, Typically, withdrawals are going to be harsh and they're going to last days. But with Ibogaine, they have the Ibogaine experience, which is about a a day or two long. And then they they actually don't have that same like harsh withdrawal. Is that correct?
1: That is a very, I would say, wishful thinking. But Uh let me let me clarify, because, you know, we once had just to illustrate a point We had a Mexican man who did not speak uh, English very well. And um, he was memorable because we used to do one treatment a month for the Mexican community as a thank you to them and also to establish bonds with that community. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started in Sayulita and we moved to San Pancho, which is San Francisco, Mexico, in the state of Nayarit, anyway, north of Puerto Vallarta. So we had this... Mexican man and he came and he said oh, he had little bit of english she goes oh you are going to give me pill i'm going to sleep and i'll wake up no more addiction you know right so we had we had to show him explain to him um i didn't speak good enough spanish but we got somebody to just hip him and then we showed him you know the vomiting the insomnia i mean I think for some people, and this is really interesting, like for instance, if you were just a plain old heroin addict and you didn't complicate things by having methadone in your system or Uh Oxycontin or you didn't take Valium. Hey, that was a piece of cake because heroin is, it it would leave the body quickly. Now, um, the body is just the body. Okay, the physical body being detoxed, ain't it, kid. There's the mental and emotional. So that is the arena. So initially, our treatment was like a week. And this is in 2007 when I arrived. We were just doing a week. And people. then we realized, okay, we got to do two weeks. And then we realized, hey, let's create an aftercare. And that's when we were doing three to a month. Many people stayed months to, huh. if they could. That was beautiful because they got a good result. Well,
0: let's, um, let's delineate between, I mean, you know, the first week after uh, somebody is in cessation from an opiate. And then you're going to have like the severe uh, withdrawals that happen at that point. And then clearly, then there's another longer period of time that happens after that. Uh, in terms of the, the emotional healing that needs to take place.
1: Let me give you, let me paint a little bit clearer picture, Doug. Mm-hmm. So, so people would have to be screened for liver problems and heart heart issues. They'd have to have an EKG, a liver panel. I mean, there was screening um, that they had to do because Ibogaine is very tough on the body, especially the heart okay. and the liver. Okay, so once they passed that hurdle, they would bring their drugs down with them. we would you know go through uh you know uh, it, they would come in they'd have to recover from their trip they'd have to have at least a good night's rest uh and we would you know obviously take their drugs we we found out that um people would hide the drugs, which is very dangerous uh-huh. i mean. So we had to find a method to say, look, drugs, if you're hiding them, it's on you. You know, we we, we went through quite a learning curve. It was uh, so then what we would do is we would get them into the state of withdrawal and we would give them a test dose. Okay. Okay. This was all to see that they were going to receive it. Now... um, Rocky had a lot of years of experience uh, as a as an Ibogaine game provider, but he had a ton of experience as a drug addict. So he and he was really good with emergencies. Amazing, amazing. I mean, we had we had quite a few. Huh. In fact, Earl, I think my first month there, we had we we had a cardiac arrest. Mm. Now at that time, you know, San Pancho Hospital. They were doing cardiac arrest manually. They were doing CPR. They didn't have the machine, the thumper, or anything. So this doctor that we had, Doctor Jose Luis, he was he he did a manual CPR until we got to Puerto Vallarta, which is forty minutes at the least away to that hospital. Transferred this guy. He was one of the first treatments. So I was. I say I was lucky because my first two or three treatments were very dramatic. Things went really horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. But thank God nobody passed. And this guy that I'm describing with, had the cardiac arrest, was uh, he grew up in India as a Hare Krishna. And he got hooked on heroin in India. And he was on methadone for, I think, about 20 years, maybe more than 20 years. And that is one of the most difficult detoxes. This isn't another subject, but it's really, I think, important for people to know about, which is yeah. methadone and now it's Suboxone. Um, they really stay in the cells, and uh, you know what? What I learned from Rocky really was that these things should not be meant for you to be a lifer on methadone or Suboxone. They call them lifers. Yeah, You know, it's a, it's a nice stopgap, but it, it, it ruins your body. You know, it's drying and just like opiates. This it, is it basically
0: deb- the treatment that they give to people in most of the Western world, right? They're, they just, yes. you're a heroin addict, you're having problems. They're like, here, get on methadone. And it, it's just kind of a replacement. I guess you don't get as, as high but it stops you from going into withdrawals as long as you keep taking it
1: yes and it Mm. yes and it devastates the body and and people are led to believe that they have to be lifers which we we started to uh explore, you know, that you don't, you don't have to be a lifer. And that's where we started to develop aftercare. And we, you know, we were always encouraging people to seek out whether whatever it was that would help them continue to stay um, healthy. We didn't use the word clean, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we had you know we didn't use clean um we used uh, harm reduction as as an attitude because there was relapse and there is relapse right so much relapse it's not it's
0: not perfect i mean there's something about addiction that you know you can have these aids but ultimately i think people have to decide for themselves that they you know they want to do it sober
1: yep that's exactly right and it's it, different for everyone.
0: Is yeah. it? I mean, you know, if somebody came back maybe and did a second or a third Ibogaine treatment with their, mm-hmm. you know, does that help did, did many people or most people were they able to to stay off the drugs after after that? If they did have a relapse, I mean, does it get better with with uh, you know, with each uh, experience or is it still kind of up to the individual? I mean, what was your experience with that? Mm,
1: Yeah, it was really, it was pretty much you could count on if people were just coming to Mexico, getting, you know, their body detoxed. Mm -hmm. And even if they stayed, you know, when you return to your life, whatever it is, my God, the triggers are enormous, Right, whether it's your job, your family, the pressure of making a living. Um, there's so many factors that would make people want to use again. So we tried to educate. And of course, every, I'm sure every good detox program is about what happens after, you know, because especially with Ibogaine, because the visionary aspect could be quite Remarkable. Like literally Rocky had every question he had answered, you know, and he'd be interesting to talk to. He Mm -hmm. had relapse. He had relapse, um, you know, and he describes it as Dracula guarding the blood bank, you know, right? here's, you know, people coming down for treatment with all their drugs, you know, so he had relapse, um, yeah, as well as, and so, right. but we had some remarkable stories of where, of, you know, what you'd hope everybody could have, which would be enough love, you know, in, in the boiti tradition of Ibogaine, there's a phrase, it's called Alem Miore, Alem is A-L-E-M, and Miore is M-Y-O-R-E. And that means one heart only. So they describe that as this, you know, when they do the ceremony in a group, they they describe that moment where everyone connects as a meore. And that is where your heart is, you know, is, uh, is opened and you're connected um, with the people that you're, taking the iboga with so i think that has a lot to do with people's recovery and then i also think that some people just like to dance with the devil
0: yeah (laughs) i hear that you know yeah
1: so uh yeah there there was uh, like i said so many stories i could tell um there were themes um, that were made the visionary aspect very interesting, you know. But <laughs> I would say, I mean, OK, one theme is the black guy in the room. So hmm. if you know about Iboga in its traditional sense, um, it is part of the ancestral religion of the Boiti Pygmies of West Equatorial Africa. So once in their lifetime, usually around puberty, they are given a massive dose of the aboga root. And prior to that, they have to fast, much like the quichols in Mexico who work with peyote. Mm-hmm. They fast, they prepare for months, they do a confession. Same with uh, the aboga. There's a community confession, like they, these uh, young men and in some cases women as well. It depends on the tribe. So they would confess their sins, and they uh, would then begin their what is called their initiation. For the males, oftentimes that was preceded by a castration hmm not I'm not a castration i'm sorry that's not what i meant to a say Circumcision. circumcision. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: okay somehow oh, i knew what you were about talking that. about yeah
1: sorry about that so yes and um, you know this gabonese shaman that we worked with would say it was the guy with the knife and the the pepper the cayenne pepper cayenne peppers is styptic yeah and and for people who have ever done the master cleanse you know it's cayenne pepper well yeah. that's an anti-inflammatory and it's a, it heals you internally it's a styptic hmm. heal so there was the guy you know nobody especially if you were a boy like that guy <laughs> anyway <laughs> so there you go and so the purpose of this enormous quantities of iboga And then they're out for, you know, a week or whatever. The purpose of that is for you to go to the other side and meet with your ancestors. And they call it straightening the arrow. They also call it splitting the head open, which was interesting, very interesting to me because of my crown chakra experience. So, yeah. So this is what they do to grow up, you know, to get that. There ain't no Santa Claus, you know? Right. And um, actually, uh, quite a few people that we had come through Ibogaine treatment had in their visions the the moment when they they learned there was no Santa Claus and how devastated they were. Uh And they saw, you know, that really affected their life. That was one thing.
0: I mean, this kind you of initiation know. ritual is something that we don't have. I think it's a sad it's a sad thing. It's a kind of a necessary rite of passage, and it would be mm-hmm. helpful psychologically for for all of us. you know I mean, I guess oh we yeah, graduate yeah. from high school, but it's not exactly the same.
1: <laughs> that's right, that's right. This is very organized mm-hmm. and it has a purpose. you know it has a very distinct purpose of you ain't a kid anymore. Your, your. It's time now to like see that you you have a, a purpose, and it's beautiful because uh, you know, like my father used to say, there are no atheists in foxholes. Right. So th- these experiences make you. You are in the foxhole, and uh, I had that experience with with ayahuasca prior to actually joining up in Mexico with the Ibogaine community. And that was totally, I say, serendipitous. You know, I wasn't planning that either. Hmm. But I didn't want to do Ibogaine in New York. I was living in New York City because it was illegal. And plus, I still had my son at home. <laughs> I was just, right. you know, so when I got the chance to go to Columbia, and this was in March of 2007, I went to Colombia to drink ayahuasca. And that uh, was the most terrifying experience. And I I think um, probably the best learning experience of my wow. life. Uh, yeah. Terrifying. Very, very terrifying. And, oh, it, I do want to mention this about both Ibogaine, Iboga, Ibogaine, And ayahuasca. So ayahuasca is called la purga, you know, purgation, vomit. Right. Okay. So when I had, I mean, I had quite a few uh, experiences, but this one, I vomited like a fire hose. Like, you know, like it's been described. I read about people. Oh, they vomited like a fire hose. Well, (laughs) yeah, but I never had that but once.
0: And this is and, the, actually the idea is that you're, you have sickness inside of you. And as you take these drugs, I mean, it's there's this positive aspect to it that you're getting, you're eliminating the, yes. the negative energies. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, so you're, you're uh, throwing up is suppressed in the West. Nobody wants to throw up. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, in Ayurveda, Vamana is like a curative thing, especially for any disease in your chest, head, you know, asthma, you know, they, they induce vomiting. Well, it's the same with ayahuasca. It's You're supposed to vomit. It's la purga. And when I had my, you know, what I call my hallmark experience with, uh-huh. with the ayahuasca, I saw so many serpents coming out of me. And I don't know if you saw the one video that I posted about my parasite situation. And uh, But I had, you know, like I had a major parasite. Wow. And it was two feet long in my small intestine, and you know, I, you know, I had a young, you know, you know, the guy who's my video guy, Zach. You know, he's a young guy. He's a millennial. He's like Mary. You should title this: "A two-foot worm came out of my ass." I'm like, <laughs> "Oh my god, that's horrible!" No, I don't talk like that. He goes, "Oh no, you'll get a lot of hits." All right. You know what? I just go with the flow on my channel. I'm embarrassed by a lot of what I see, but you know what? I it's all coming from a space of like I do want to share. And yes, I, I get embarrassed sometimes when I look at my videos. I'm like, Oh my God.
0: <laughs> it's pretty personal stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's personal. It's very, I showed that experience because when I got healed from that intestinal, it was an intestinal worm. Mm. It was through, um, wormwood. It was through mother nature. You know, So, so, It was in a tea that I drank that killed that thing. And the doctor here in Fort Bragg said to me, I won't mention her name, but she was told me she was very sympathetic. And she said, look, Mary, chances are we wouldn't have found the parasite. And I said, I know. That's why I don't. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know, because. Really, Western medicine doesn't really discuss parasites too much. Oh no, that doesn't happen here. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, well you're 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 taking your animals through parasite treatment, you know, your goats, your horses. Well, we're animals. So how come that's so taboo? So anyway, so yes, right. in the in the ayahuasca I saw the you know, many serpents in my vomit, which you know, ultimately took me down to the center of the earth. Yeah. It was major league. When I came up, I saw infinity and I experienced my sacred nature. And I realized that I, in fact, was about to accompany or not accompany, but help someone, this woman I was taking care of, I was going to help her die. And here I was this little jerk complaining because I, I really hated my job. A lot of times, uh. it was hard, you know, cleaning up poop all the time. And, and there I saw, I saw myself facing what could be my own death, because I thought I was going to die. And I was like, Oh, you think you're not going to die? That's what's you're afraid of. Like the ayahuasca is like, Oh, you think you want to know if your boyfriend loves you or you're <laughs> Whatever. Right. No, that's not what's running the show here. Check it out. You think you're going to live through this? And I was, I was in a state of mortal terror because when I vomited, I was outside the Maloka and I rolled down a hill. I did not know this till I got out of it, and my mouth was full of dirt. I had rolled down a hill. I was by myself for six wow. hours. And the Maloka is the, the
0: ceremonial hut where you were doing. That's the- right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes there were like at least 25 people there that's I went with mm. Ben Delune to Columbia, and he he was there he was there Yeah Yeah So that that's what preceded my 5 years with the Ibigang community Okay had, Yeah had I thought I could work with ayahuasca, cuz that was really what was I call my medicine like that's what actually Changed me, you know. Not that I had, you know. I still have. I'm still messing up. Right. Yeah, I'm still messing up.
0: It doesn't make you perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Yeah. It but it kind of straightened my arrow to say, uh, uh-huh. why do you want to live here, Mary? You know, <laughs> why do you want to be on the planet? So that was, yeah. I'm grateful for that. But yeah, and so then because I had the job with the I community. And it was Mexico. It wasn't the Amazon. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go there. And and I also I wanted to know about Iboga. I wanted to understand these things and be a part of it. Which um, yeah, I'm so I'm so glad. Uh, it's really hard work um, to be responsible for helping people to heal no matter what it is, whether you're a nurse here in the hospital or, you know, whatever kind of help you're giving to people, it's Mm -hmm. hard work. But if you're trying to help someone detox, whoa, it it is very much like an exorcism and, um, it's hard work. And (laughs) so, um, But I thought the way that we were doing it in Mexico was very humane because we were in a beautiful home. We had, you know, the windows open. We had good food. We had people who really cared around. Our group was great. I loved the people I worked with. And there was Christopher Lawrence. I'll mention him. Claire Wilkins. She's still, I believe, in Sayulita or San Pancho. She has a place. Uh, Pangia and Rocky and Asha uh, are in uh, San Miguel de Allende, and I believe they're still called the Awakening in the Dream House. They want to work with providers now. You know that they, they've they've put in they've paid their dues. Right. You know, really, it's hard. And um, yeah, yeah. You, I don't. I'll let you, uh I don't want to lead this, you know, but. um
0: Well, I mean, where do you want to go from here? There's so well, much you to had, talk about.
1: Either yeah, so much. Yeah. You had mentioned Kratom.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: I, yeah. I have one video on my channel of a Kratom detox. So the young woman in that video, mm-hmm. she was uh very, I, I I won't say typical but it often happens this way that someone just wants to get off of whatever it is so they take everything and they they throw it away and they give up their their selves to changing they want it so bad they're so sick of being the way they are, whatever the substance is. And that was her case.
0: Mm-hmm. And so just to clarify, yeah. Kratom is just a, it's uh, oh. it's more like an opiate. It's a little bit more of a, of a, it's not a hallucinogen, right? It's not the same. It's not the super powerful experience, but it can be a replacement if you're getting off opiates. Uh, it just kind it kind of cuts some of the withdrawal symptoms and, and almost like a methadone, but not, but, but a natural substance that's a little bit, maybe easier on the body?
1: Well, it's been uh, talked about that way. It's an opioid, so okay. it's not, it's very similar to an opiate. Okay. And people talk about using it for alcohol. Might I have a family member that worked with it that way, and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or getting off a, a, another opiate. Well, it's not an opiate, but getting off an opiate. So it has been... S- Promoted to be that, but um, it is highly addictive. And this young woman, what she went through was so horrendous. She did not want it to be filmed, and I don't blame her. Like, I hesitate to film any treatment because it's like an invasion Mm -hmm. of a sacred space. Yeah. But we were trying to help educate, but that actually only became one video and I, I didn't follow up on it. Uh, I may, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to give her some time.
0: You know, I didn't even Mm -hmm. really realize, I mean, I've heard about people taking Kratom kind of recreationally and I had Mm -hmm. heard about people taking it to cut some, uh, some of these withdrawal symptoms, Mm -hmm. uh, or even sometimes just to go to sleep. It's not super powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was actually interested cause I didn't realize that like, if it does become sort of your replacement drug for a heavier addiction and you're taking mm-hmm. it for long periods of time, then the withdrawals off of this are going to be pretty rough as well. That was, that was, Oh,
1: a- that is very true. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it has side effects. One of which is discoloration of the skin. Yeah. The skin becomes, it's, it's toxic to the liver. If you, again, everything's dosage, you know, tobacco is a plant that was used as a digestive. Uh, A lot of the shamans down in Peru, they're like always smoking mapacho. That's like the heirloom tobacco. I mean, you know, the tobacco that we, even in American spirit, the,
0: the mm-hmm. natural organic
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> that's still hybridized tobacco it's not mapacho mm-hmm. now i don't know if if, uh, if you were you know overusing mapacho i think that would probably hurt you but you know it is a sacred yeah. plant tobacco and there are people who work with it a- as a sacrament yeah
0: it's always so interesting that many of the plants that are sacred plants uh, are also addictive or have these, this, these darker sides to them. Although interesting that mm. I don't, I don't ever think of the hallucinogens as addictive really. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess it's possible, <laughs> but it's, seems-
1: well, actually you've, you've made a point that many people in, in the biz, mm-hmm. in the ethno biz, you know, um, they point out like, Hey man, you know, people aren't usually, you know, uh, Robbing houses or ripping people off to get enough money to get some psilocybin or right. some peyote um, you know um and you're usually not addicted because let's face it, you may be throwing up you may have a trip that is so confrontational it it's not a party it's yeah. not like ecstasy or. I don't know, LSD can even be very rough. It can it can make you throw up. Um, mm-hmm. but it's man made. I don't, you know, I don't judge it, but I do have a certain respect for the entheogens that Mother Nature has provided without any interference from humans. Yeah. So I think uh yeah. Yeah, those are not causing habits. You know, like, yeah, they're not causing people, you know, right. in general. You know, I, I think there are people who think because they take, you know, they've taken, I've taken 100 ayahuasca trips, so I'm so evolved, you know. Right. <laughs> There's also that kind of, you know, there, there can be uh, reverse snobbery or thinking <laughs> that that's the way, you know, which is actually, you um, Made me kind of quiet about a lot of stuff that I feel helped me because I don't really think that it's my job to pr- promote it, but I-, I feel that it is kind of my job to defend the validity of it, you know, right. and also to stress the people to do it with a sitter who's a qualified sitter, or <laughs> at the very least you know, if you can't find that, set it up. So you're safe.
0: Well, that was, Um, that was something that I wanted to bring up. I know like Timothy Leary would always talk about set and setting. And it seems like a lot of mm -hmm. what you were probably doing in Mexico with the Ibogaine was, you know, having the set and setting, make sure it was a safe environment, make sure there was somebody there that could help kind of lead, uh, you know, the initiate through, through Mm -hmm. the process because you get so discombobulated. And if you're, you know, you don't want anything to put you into a bad space. You want to feel like you're in a safe space during something like that. So,
1: yes, there's a lot to know. You don't want to be on certain drugs, Uh especially like MAO inhibitors or SRRIs. It's like, oh, wow. You're taking, oh, no. Oh, my gosh. You know, because basically, let's say, well, Ibogaine works this way, too. You cannot be on these drugs. I'll call them for lack of a better word, but, you know, antidepressants, uh,
0: uh-huh.
1: these, these classifications, because, okay, what these drugs are doing in the case of the monoamine, you know, uh, drugs, they're basically doing the same thing ayahuasca is doing, which is they are suppressing your natural suppressors of DMT, cause we have DMT floating in the body. They say that it's released from the pineal gland at the mm-hmm. time of death. So what, what we have is inhibitors in our gut that are keeping the DMT from flooding our system. So mm. Ibogaine and ayahuasca. So in the case of ayahuasca, it's the vine, they, they interfere with those inhibitors so the DMT is flooding in your system and then the Shakuna, which is part of ayahuasca is an extra little bit of DMT <laughs> it's kind of
0: interesting to think about because then you know maybe consciousness is like a this controlled trip you know like our whole life our body is kind of like this controlled DMT experience that we're having and and yeah when you take these substances then you're just allowed you know a broader view right you get more oh
1: yeah you
0: don't you don't have the inhibitors anymore yeah
1: Yeah. You don't have the inhibitors. And, you know, my uh, Ayurveda teacher was telling me he's, he's Indian. And he said to me, I don't recommend that you do this. When I was telling him, because I was in school for, to learn the ancient medicine of India. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, no, you don't want to go and get your chakra opened. (laughs) And I'm like, but I, but I do. And I told him what happened when i was twenty three and he's like, "No, no, 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 that's only supposed to happen when you die and he said you you if you open it, then you're gonna have to give it a lot of time to close. Hmm. You have to be really careful mm-hmm. so that was another perspective on it, so that's yeah. what happens a lot to people you know they're out there in the middle of the woods they lost their way they didn't bring any food or a sleeping bag in their balls and they can really get into trouble you know and
0: well and then this kind of goes in and for you know i I really want to touch on this um like why it's illegal in the united states and then like how many people could be helped uh from these addiction issues or even just from a like a like shining the light on the whole process learning from the indigenous and the indigenous ceremonies how they've used it mm-hmm. and then and then figuring out you know some kind of path forward in our own culture to be able to use these things to really heal from some of these i mean these addiction issues are all over the place and they're so difficult to deal with and people are going to rehabs over and over again One of the things Mm -hmm. I've also even realized, like the 12 step programs that are so common here, and they won't let anybody experiment with these hallucinogenic options, Mm. but that I I look at it, I even think about it as technology, like the the addiction healing technology. And these 12 step programs were invented in like the 1930s. And because Mm -hmm. of, I think because of the drug war, like addiction Mm -hmm. therapies haven't really evolved from... In the last, you know, yeah. almost hundred years or whatever, the last eighty years, it's That's unfortunate. True. Yeah,
1: yeah, and you can just follow the money all the way through all of uh-huh. our our history of our medicine, the American Medical Association, with the Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie as donors. Right. Um, meanwhile, pushing away all the naturopathy and midwifery and even chiropractic, you know, herbal. Herbology pushing it under because the other stuff could make you money. And now we have we have a sad situation of just follow the money on all this that's happening in our world yeah. now. Yeah. So that's a whole other can of worms, which I want to allude to because yes, this is what is happening now. And now it's so sad to me that we have censorship which is scary why can't we talk why can't we have debate mm-hmm. about what is happening and what so many qualified people who have been uh literally censored off facebook linkedin scrubbed off wikipedia these are not just people like me these are you know people with a track record as Uh, like a chief science officer of Pfizer, an epidemiologist, a virologist. These are an immunologist, you know, doctors who are working, you know, all these people are being suppressed. Why can't we talk?
0: Right. Uh, Hey everybody. I just wanted to take a quick station break here in the middle of this interview to uh, let you all know that this is where I made the cut for the free version of the shift Uh, if you're interested in seeing the whole thing uh, please contemplate becoming a subscriber for only six bucks a month you can get the audio version uh, of the extended interview that you're listening to right now go to www.theshiftnow.com and click on subscribe uh, and you will have access not just to the uh, full-length versions of all my episodes um, but also uh, I've just started a Facebook group for members only so you can uh, have contact with me full-time as as well as uh, other members of the shift. Uh, So it's a pretty good opportunity. If you want the full-length video versions uh, of all my interviews, I have them posted on Rockfin, which you can join for just $9.99 a month. Go to rockfin.com, look up The Shift with Doug McKenty. You can subscribe from there. Uh, And for your membership to Rockfin, you also get access to premium content from hundreds of other uh, content providers. So uh, that's a pretty good deal. So you should think about doing that. All right. Thanks, everybody. uh, And please... Think about supporting the show, I hear you, I mean, what's funny is that um uh-huh. you know, I guess i i I would have thought or that this conversation was going to be kind of like a celebration, or you know let's let's have a party and take some mushrooms kind of conversation, <laughs> and it really isn't like that though, is it like it's actually very realistic <laughs> the
1: whole well, the whole it exper- could be experiment. I, it could be you know it could be a total mm-hmm. party set, and it often is. Yeah. you know and hey i think this life should be like a musical theater you know you wake up and you sing to your neighbor and you know right whatever. you're a clown you pull down your pants and whatever you know it's we should have more like yeah effusive energy where you know uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Martin Ball. I I like his demonstrations of the 5-MEO-DMT and how his body just suddenly is moving. And it's like, Uh yes, we are like little, we're we're all tightened up from all this fear and divisiveness and having to beat up, you know, win. And uh, God, humans are just tortured. Uh (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean,
0: yeah. I have been starting to look at things like long term. So many of us have been participating, you know, not in ceremonial cultures, which understand a lot of what we've been talking about. Um, but we our families have participated in this kind of uh, this colonizing event for generations and generations and where the, you know, the emphasis has been on work hard, get the work done, you know, don't mm-hmm. care. and and it's actually very traumatic. I mean, especially if you've had a a father who was in a wartime Mm -hmm. situation or you yourself Mm. or your grandfather or your great grandfather or your great, great grandparent that was traumatized by the civil war and they never healed and they just pass those, you know, those uh, traumatic experiences down until Mm -hmm. we're just like, I think a lot of people in this culture are just like, Almost like time bombs you know of of yeah. post traumatic stress um super yes because levels we carry of anxiety that. and addiction That's, and addiction yeah. issues
1: it's in our genes literally right all that memory of our ancestors is right there within us we're just we don't know how to access it, but it's there, and we are the end result mm-hmm. you know we are born from you know uh, I once heard this guru. <laughs> It was a Rinpoche, a Tibetan guy say, oh, we're born from the anger of our father and the greed of our mother.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Nice guy. He's funny. (laughs) I really enjoyed his essays, but I thought, yeah, you know, and if you look at the sex act, it could appear that way, you know, (laughs) so I'll just leave that. That's it. That might be
0: right. We can leave that there.
1: (laughs) A great closing thought, (laughs) you know, but it's, it's funny, you know, you got to laugh and right. And you know we are th- we thank God for our sacred clowns that you know have been beheaded you know off with their head you know and we have you know a lot of comedians in our culture who have been yeah figuratively beheaded censored oh no that's just yeah so. We need We need to feel. We're human beings. We need to feel from our heart. And, yeah, you know, we got, we, there's no easy, I suppose, solution. But we could start a, at least if we could talk about it. And, yeah, I don't know. You know, it could. Two, three hundred years, it'll be fine. Dad.
0: Yeah, no worries. <laughs> no worries. Just a couple <laughs> hundred years. We'll get through this exactly well that exactly. sounds that sounds like a plan mary do you want me to send i can tell people to find out more uh, at the accidental psychonaut
1: well you know thanks for plugging my channel i mm-hmm. mean i haven't been on there in a year and a half but okay i am gonna go back you know i mean yes and if people wanted to uh Contact me about I Actually, Richie volunteered, so I could give you his phone number.
0: Well, that was the the i I Begin again.org. I'll definitely yes. post that. And that I was- Begin
1: again.org. And then there's the Awakening in the Dream House, which is Rocky and Asha Caravelli. They're interested in training providers and maybe psycho-spiritual work. They're not doing heavy-duty detox, according to what Rocky told me a couple days ago. Um, And then there's Claire Wilkins, who I believe is in Sayulita, and she is dealing with uh, detox. Um, Her site, I believe, is Pangea Biomedics. Her name is Claire Wilkins. And unfortunately, one of my favorite providers i I think he may not be working at the moment but his name is christopher lawrence and he's a very good provider and there are many that i do not know so they're certainly not limited to that but
0: well sounds great thanks for coming on the show thank you for sure thank
1: you thank you so much you know i i so appreciate you inviting me on and
0: well, it's a, it's a topic that's worthy of a lot of discussion, and I really uh, appreciate your mm-hmm. experience. Um, oh,
1: thank you. Thank so you so much.
0: Letting people know uh, that Ibogaine and these other entheogens are out there uh, and, mm-hmm. they, and they, that they do provide these healing properties um, is important. Yes. So i I'm glad we, we could do this. Me too. So let me just close out by letting everybody know that you've been listening to The Shift with Doug McKinty, and I am your host, that would be doug McKenty, uh and you can find out more about my stuff at www.theshiftnow.com you can sign up for the feature length versions of the episode uh subscribe to the newsletter uh and uh find a lot of free content under the free content tab so uh check Mm -hmm. it out and then uh, you can see me at doug McKenty on facebook Uh, i'm also at the shift with doug McKenty on youtube i guess um i'm sending more pe- more and more people to uh, the Odyssey or uh, Doug McKinty on rock fin for all the video stuff. Um, mm-hmm. because you don't get censored on, on those channels. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody still believes in free speech around here.
1: Oh, so, good. Yes. I, I'll have to talk to you about that. <laughs> right. I think my channel may have to go there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: Mm-hmm. I know.
0: Well, cool. So everybody check that out. And thank you very Mm -hmm. much, Mary, for the conversation. And uh, if you are suffering Mm -hmm. uh, from an addiction issue or you have a family member, then uh, I hope you learned something. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, certainly do some research on the Ibogaine topic because uh, it Mm -hmm. has helped people out. It's never an easy situation, but um, people are learning all the time how to try to, you know, help as best they can to make that transition back to health. So, Mm -hmm. Thanks again, Mary. And thanks for your work um, in the field and and for coming on and telling your story. Mm -hmm. So, appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Take care. Great.
0: And there you go, people. That was my talk with uh, Mary Ditton. Um, I've been wanting to have someone on for a long time to talk about the psychedelic experience. uh, And I have, of course, been thinking about sort of getting someone like maybe a Dennis McKenna on. Uh, I've certainly read uh, a fair amount of Terrence McKenna's work and and having a conversation kind of on that level. And then I just happened to meet Mary uh, here at a community event. She's a local friend of mine now. uh, And we started talking and she explained uh, her life path and the concept of the accidental psychonaut to me. And Uh, It just seemed like it would be a great introduction on this program to start having this conversation, so uh, I was really happy to have her on. I'm not exactly sure when you're talking about the psychedelic experience that having uh, a PhD, uh, you know, really is... um the kind of credential that you need to have an in-depth conversation and a person with mary's life experience uh, and her passion for the topic uh is uh, maybe the perfect person to have on really to talk about this uh you don't need a piece of paper or a certification to get licensed in uh, in being a psychonaut so uh, i was really happy to have her on and i really enjoyed the conversation um you know, I've had uh, some of my own personal experiences, of course, uh, over the ages. When I was younger, I had a couple of profound ones that were that were really cool, opened my eyes to the possibility of these things uh, as tools. Um, I do, you know, nowadays doing Tai Chi, uh, doing sweat lodge ceremony and things like that. Um, I don't typically participate with the psychedelic ceremonies, although I have done the peyote ceremony a couple of times. I don't think it's a necessary part of a path, but I think that uh, it can, in a lot of cases, really jumpstart uh, a person who's colonized into having a kind of an awakening experience to uh, an alternative perspective. And Mary's uh, on-the-ground experience with the Ibogaine um, treatment protocols in Mexico uh, was really crucial, I think, to understand that these plant medicines do have a place in our pantheon of of healing medicines. Uh, The fact that Ibogaine is uh, Schedule 1 here in the United States and can't be studied in terms of its healing potential, especially against addiction, uh, is, I think, really unfortunate and, and speaks to the broader concept of healthcare freedom that Mary and I really talked about. That's been, of course... An overarching theme here in the last year and a half, uh, having the freedom to choose our own treatment protocols and how we're going to deal with viruses in our own way uh, or with sickness in our own way in general. Um, And it really kind of hit home for me having this conversation with Mary that this really includes the whole pantheon uh, of entheogens as well. Uh, So many people see uh, a great value uh, in having this experience, many cultures throughout the history of humankind certainly have uh, utilized these things, uh, not just for healing but for initiation. Uh, as I discussed with uh, with Mary a bit, the ibogaine root uh, extract has been used uh, for generations and generations in Africa by some tribes to perform this initiation experience, uh, to to allow individuals to go from a childhood into adulthood by having this kind of psychedelic experience Um, and i think that these initiation rituals are uh, really important Uh, a lot of people in our culture are sort of floundering for uh many many years as they grow into adulthood not really having that that clear delineation that sometimes these plant medicines maybe can help make that transition for people, so that they can really recognize that now they've they've entered into adulthood and they're and they're part of the community, uh, and their voice counts equally amongst uh, all the other adults so um, another important use for these kinds of substances. <clears throat> It was interesting to hear her stories, uh, because they weren't all super positive, you know? I, maybe, I guess, I was expecting to have someone on uh, who would just kind of cheer on how uh, the psychedelic experience just opened your mind and changed your life forever, and it was all uh, unicorns and fairy tales after that, um, but Mary's... Mary's. Uh, Stories were very realistic uh, about the fact that you're not always just uh, going straight to heaven when you have one of these experiences, and oftentimes you have to face your fears and your traumas and work through uh, some difficult situations. And these powerful experiences help you to face those, and they're not always super fun. Um, It doesn't take away from the potential for real healing, and uh, when you have these uh, experiences in that a ceremonial setting, especially with someone to help you, then uh, they can manifest in profound positive changes in your life, whether or not the experience is, is pretty rocky, you know, <laughs> as you go through it, especially with some of these more powerful ones like the Ibogaine experience and the Ayahuasca experience. Um, so it was interesting, and she also, you know, I wish that uh, Ibogaine was just something, you know, uh, uh, like a, a one-trick wonder where you can take some of this stuff and then you never want to touch drugs again, right? Um, but uh, unfortunately, it's just not that easy and you could kind of hear some of the frustration in her stories and that You know, some people have to do it once, twice, three times, uh, and it still requires that emotional work after the experience to really recover uh, from uh, any kind of addiction situation that you or a loved one might find yourself in. Because uh, you get back home after you've had the you know the ceremony or the healing experience, and and you're surrounded by all of those triggers and your drug dealers and everything else, and you still have to make it through life on your own. Uh, so there is uh, certainly still a lot of emotional work. It's not just as easy as taking a pill, uh, but nonetheless. Uh, there were a lot of, it It, it definitely creates uh, a break. It breaks that addiction cycle and it gives you a chance if you choose to take it. Um, so I think there is a lot of positive value, especially with the Ibogaine and addiction. And uh, again, I think it's just really unfortunate that uh, we don't live in a society that has the freedom uh, for us as individuals to choose how we're going to deal with our own uh, personal Healthcare issues. Uh, I just start to imagine what it would be like in a world where uh, instead of enforcing treatment protocols from this top down system, uh, we were really allowed to just have conversations with our healthcare providers and make choices for ourselves based on informed consent, and certain medications weren't prevented from being used if that was the direction that we wanted to go in. I mean, I think. Actually, it would just be a phenomenal and profoundly different world, um, you know, <laughs> like we could really live in a healthy society. And instead, clearly our current healthcare system prevents us from, uh, from accessing cheap uh, and easy and effective medications in a lot of cases and imposes uh, pharmaceutical medications that typically require a lifetime of use. Certainly, they're profitable for the big pharmaceutical corporations, um, but not uh, at all actually healthy for the long term uh, inside of our personal lives and in the lives of the members of our community uh, that really could find uh, very low cost health care uh, if we did have that option. So um, if anything, I think that's what I've taken away from this conversation is just to, it reinforced my idea uh, that living in a free society, especially when it comes to healthcare, could be really transformative. We might be amazed at the the happy, healthy, long lives that many of us could be living uh, if we weren't forced into these treatment protocols based on profit and instead based on actual efficacy. Um, uh, but again, you know, just to talk about the psychedelic experience. <laughs> It's just another one of those things. I mean, what kind of a world would we live in? I know, you know, people like Timothy Leary writing way back in the 60s about how these substances can be used to help and transform, uh, you know, and if we could just go to a place. Another thing that Mary and I discussed a bit was about set and setting having a professional sit with you while you have an experience like this. I mean, people here in the United States, where we're not allowed to do these kinds of things above ground, oftentimes uh, you're taking things by yourself or taking things with a group of people that don't really know what's going on, and they are powerful substances. And it's so unfortunate that we don't have the ability to uh, go to a professional uh, who really has experience with dealing with these these powerful medications uh, and helping you to utilize them to their maximum while also being there for you uh, to make sure that the experience is as safe and and pleasant as possible. So uh, just another aspect of, of this society that we're living in right now, Where we have these options, and uh, these options have been chosen by cultures uh, throughout thousands of years of human experience to to the great benefit uh, of their communities, and just simply unfortunate that uh, in the patriarchal cultures they really they really frown upon it. You know, I think there is actually something deeper going on behind the scene, where you know the patriarchal culture needs you to believe in the authority of the hierarchy, and I think that uh, these entheogens really break that down. For those of you who've had an experience yourself, you probably understand uh, that it's very individuating, uh, and it really kind of separates your sense of of understanding of things from this uh, patriarchal authority, this hierarchical system, and says, hey, no, you're actually the one having your own individual experience. Check this out, right? (laughs) And, uh, it, it starts to uh, really tear down your sense of the reality that's been constructed within the patriarchy and, and uh, open your mind up to uh, other options. Uh, let me put it to you that way, about thinking about things that maybe those at the top of the patriarchal hierarchy really don't want you to understand that you have. So that, I think, explains a lot about why... Uh, these patriarchal systems really frown upon the psychedelic experience and you find them uh, way more often in cultures that are more partnership oriented. Uh, but the ones that are dominator oriented, hierarchical and patriarchal uh, do tend to frown on this. I, I recommend actually Terence McKenna's Food of the Gods uh, about this, where he describes the difference between the, the more uh, matriarchal or partnership substances like psychedelics or cannabis And then the patriarchal ones that are constantly pushed down our throat, like uh, caffeine uh, and nicotine uh, and alcohol, right? And he goes through the history of all of that. So um, if you want to get a good book on this topic, check that one out, Food of the Gods by Terence McKenna. And I just want to thank uh, Mary for coming on the show once again and describing her experience and her personal life experience as she has delved deeply into uh, entheogens and what they can do. And uh, for the time that she took out of her life to help people utilizing Ibogaine uh, to heal from addiction therapies, Um, I think um, just what an incredible experience to have. And I'm glad that she shared her time with us doing that. You can find more about her on her YouTube channel. She's got, uh, I don't know, 10 or 20 uh, videos posted there just kind of describing her experience over uh, a lifetime of uh, experimenting with uh, the variety of substances and and her professional experience with ibogaine. It is at The Accidental Psychonaut on YouTube, Uh, so I urge people to check that out. Uh, they're pretty short snippets and and uh, there's uh, a lot of really interesting information in there just about uh, about her relationship with Entheogen so you can get a little deeper there uh, and also uh, if you've been listening to this you've been listening to The Shift I'm your host Doug McKenty you can go to www.theshiftnow.com and you can find uh, all of my shows under the free content tab. There's hours of free content there. Please think about signing up for the newsletter. I'll keep you updated uh, on everything new that's coming out of Doug McKinsey Studios. And uh, you can subscribe for the full feature-length versions of each episode there uh, under the subscriptions tab. So think about doing that. And please like, share, and subscribe this. I really uh, do rely on all of you to get this information out there. You are the distribution network. So please, please do that if you've liked what you've heard. All right, thanks, everybody, for checking this one out. We'll have some new content coming at you uh, here in the next week, and uh, we'll talk to you again then. Take care, everybody.